morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. If you're a guest visiting with us this morning, we are so honored that you chose to come. This is the end of our series called Edom, and we've been studying about the Edomite people, the nation of Edom, and what happened to cause their eventual downfall, their eventual destruction. And today we're going to conclude that uh, that series. If you haven't been with us, you guys know this, you can always go online, solacechurch.com. All of our messages, previous messages are there and available for you to see. So feel free to uh, catch up uh, if you haven't seen previous week's messages in this series. If you're watching online at solacechurch.com, thank you for being a part of our online community this morning as we conclude the series. Here's the bottom line. This series, we've learned that God is sovereign and is actively involved in human history. One of the things we've learned in this series is that God is the one who raises up nations and brings down nations. And God is actively involved in world events. And we saw the formation in this series of the nation of Israel through Jacob and the nation of Edom through Esau. And we've been studying about the the prophecy uh, or God's word delivered to the Edomite people through a man named Obadiah. We don't know a whole lot about Obadiah's story. We, we, we don't have any context in understanding who he was. But God chose to spoke, uh, speak excuse me, through Obadiah and deliver a message to Esau's descendants, the Edomites. So God is sovereign and he is actively involved in human history. The problem with the Edomite people is that they failed to recognize the sovereignty of God. They sought to set themselves up against God. And here's what we learned. When we try to set ourselves up up against God, it does nothing to diminish God's sovereignty. It only wrong-sizes us. God is sovereign and he will remain sovereign regardless of what prideful things might creep into our lives. Remember this phrase from a previous message. Every day and in a thousand ways we seek to make ourselves the center of the universe. That is the nature and essence of pride. It's all about me. And that's a problem. And the reason that that's a huge problem is because James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Remember, the Greek word here, oppose, literally means to set oneself up against an enemy. It's not as though God just simply um, allows or, or, or turns a deaf ear or a blind eye to pride. He opposes the proud. He sets himself up against the proud. I was uh, uh, looking on Facebook this last week, and I saw a, uh, a list of like 21 celebrities who are atheists. And I, I don't even remember the exact celebrity that I ran across, but one celebrity was receiving an award. She was an atheist. And she said, as she received this award, many people stand on this stage and they want to thank God for all the good, the, the many ways that he has blessed them. And she said, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. She said, this award is my God. Powerful statement, isn't it? Not only did she, not only was she uh, condescending towards those who would recognize God's rightful place, but now she took the next step to set up something in opposition, her own idol to worship. 
This is the heart, the nature of pride. And while we don't do that in some tangible way like that, oftentimes we do in our own worlds when we're, when we're wrestling with God's agenda over ours, our agenda, we set ourselves up against God in some other ways. And so every day, and in a thousand ways, we seek to make ourselves the center of the universe. But God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, the, the Edomite people were interesting they had uh, uh, several things that they thought were pretty significant. As a matter of fact, I want to take you to this slide and just, just show you. These were some things that the Edomite people were proud of. If you remember one of the messages, one of the, one of the weeks we talked about this. They were proud of their geography. They were positioned high on the clefts. At least in part, their nation was positioned high on the clefts. Fortified. Well defended. They could not imagine a scenario where someone could come in and take over their land. They were proud of their diplomacy. That is, that they had made alliances with surrounding nations. They had these, these, these agreements, these relationships that would insulate them from any kind of attack. They also were proud of their philosophy. Remember, they were the wise men. Job says that it was his, the, uh, Scripture records that one of Job's friends was the wisest of his friends, and he was an Edomite. It was their intellect, their intellect that they thought would protect them and shield them. And of course, their military might, we saw as well. But here's the problem. It does not matter what you believe would insulate you from problems. If you set yourself up against God, he opposes that and will bring that to a certain destruction. All right, so that's what we covered so far. It's been really positive. People have been really excited. They've been smiling a lot in this series. You can tell it's really uplifting, right? No, this is the reality of the nature of pride. Because the Edomite people were prideful. The pride of their heart deceived them. And because of that, there was a pending doom, a, a coming wrath. And, and, and Obadiah in verse number 10 speaks about this wrath, this prophetic word from God of the pending doom for the, uh, for the nation of Edom. And this is what he says. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. Powerful words of prophecy. All right. For those of you who love history, let me just set this part of the story in its context. This is really important to hear. In 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, fulfills a prophetic word spoken about the southern kingdom called Judah. He is going to come and lay siege. He is going to come and ransack and destroy the southern kingdom called Judah. And if you remember your geography, Edom is just south of Judah. It's important to note. Now think about this. The northern kingdom of Israel has already been taken over by the Assyrian Empire and armies. Now it's time, 586, for the southern kingdom, Judah, to be destroyed. You can read about this if you want to in your own time. 2 Chronicles chapter 36 gives us a detailed account of that destruction. King Nebuchadnezzar sends his forces. They come into the southern kingdom, Judah. They, they, uh, they kill as many as they can. It's a very, very eye-opening description. They paid no attention to whether or not they were young or old, male or female, a child or adult. It did not matter. They came through the towns and villages and killed as many as they could. They took some captive, but killed many, many thousands. They also went into the temple and the king's palace, and they, they pillaged it. They took as 
all the treasures they could possibly take with them, and they carried them back to Babylon. They also set fire to the temple, set fire to the palaces, and destroyed the temple walls uh, uh, around Jerusalem. They literally obliterated the nation. All right, now. (laughs) What did Edom do while all this is going on? Think for for, for yourself, just, just for a moment, think about this. Let's think about if some foreign nation would come to attack the United States of America. We have Mexico to the south, Canada to the north. They are our neighbors. They are our friends. They are our allies. What would Mexico do if some foreign army chose to invade the United States and tried to take over the United States? What would, what would Mexico do? Well, I'm sure you can speculate a thousand different ways. What would you want them to do? You would want them to come. Maybe. <laughs> to our rescue. You would want Canada to come as well. What did Edom do? In the next couple of verses, you're going to see what pride does to a person. You're going to see the actions of someone when they operate in this disposition of pride. So notice what takes place. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth, speaking of Judah here, on the day Judah was taken over, Edom, what did you do? You stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. Very potent statements from Obadiah delivered by God to the Edomites. You were like one of them. When Nebuchadnezzar came and took over and and began to fight against uh, Judah and Jerusalem specifically, the Edomite people stood aloof. That is, that they stood back and watched the events unfold before their very eyes. And Obadiah says, through God, Obadiah says, because you stood back and did nothing, you were like one of them. That is a powerful statement. (laughs) Here's my thought. Remember, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's lineage is Israel. Esau's lineage is is Edom. (laughs) Jacob and Esau did not like one another. They fought They were brothers, sibling sibling rivalry. For 800 years, up until 586, Jacob and Esau's family had been waging war with one another. Now Esau's family sees Jacob's family being destroyed. What does Esau do? Like a good brother, he stands back and does nothing. Why? Because he was proud. He, he, was, he was self-sufficient. He, he was secure. Nothing was wrong with him. He wasn't having any harm inflicted to him. Why get involved in someone else's matter? And if you're writing things down, write this down. This is what God found so offensive. Prideful people hurt the hurting by not helping. Prideful people hurt the hurting by not helping. There was a need before the nation of Israel. They saw their their, their, their family being hurt, and they did nothing about it. Let me tell you what pride does. You ready? Pride, when someone, when someone carries out the sin of pride, they make themselves the sin of the world, and other people's problems are not their problems. They don't have time. They don't have resources to share. They don't have the agenda, the heart to go share and go help. And so pride makes me the center of my world and your needs are never my needs and your hurt is never my hurt. Is not that absolutely counter to the gospel? What does Jesus do? 
He comes in the midst of my brokenness and he comes to meet me in the midst of my brokenness. What does he say? I didn't come to to take care of the healthy. I came to care and to rescue those who are sick, those who are broken, those who are hurting, those who are lost. That's why Paul says the mind of Christ should be our minds, that he, he humbled himself, made himself nothing. He took on the form of a servant and became obedient even to death on the cross. Do you see the picture? Pride is counter gospel. Pride is counter Christian because it does not allow the person to engage in someone else's need. Hey, I don't know if you know this or not. Hopefully by now you do. But our church in this next eight to ten years is entering into this season of being missional. Missional means I'm going out to meet you where your need is. I'm not going to ask you to come here. I'm going to meet you where you, where you are. And let me tell you what's going to happen in your heart. You ready? Just hold on. This is what's going to happen. You're going to begin to hear about an incredible need that exists in our, in, our, in our community, in this city, in this region, in this nation, in this world. And hear me, you're going to be given lots of opportunities to step in to that area and to fill that void and to reach out into someone else's brokenness and help meet their need. And let me tell you what's going to happen. Inside of your heart, because it happens even to your pastor, you're going to think about every reason why you don't have enough time or resources or talent or ability to step in to meet that need. But prideful people hurt the hurting when they don't step into that need. Now, church, hear me. We're not going to enable people to stay in a perpetual state of need. That's not the goal. It is to step out and help meet that need. Do you know what our name is here, here at our church? Do you know what our name is? Solace. Do you know what that means? A place of refuge for people in need. Prideful people hurt when they do not help. That's just the nature of what took place. Let's go on in the story because you see the story continue to unfold. In verse number 12, you should not look down on your brother in the days of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their distress or destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. Oh, like a good brother. Edom is standing back watching, watching Jacob's lineage be destroyed with fire, with death, with captivity. And what do they do? They celebrate. Okay, I don't know about you, but there's this weird thing that happens in our home. Grady, our oldest child, he's almost eight. It's got to be hardwired in him. It's got to be. There's something within my son that he loves to see Graham get in trouble. Are your kids like that? Not only does he love to see Graham get in trouble... But he, in his, in his brain, he tries to create scenarios, true or not, doesn't matter, create scenarios so that Graham will get in trouble. It's amazing. I'll get on to Graham for doing something, and rightfully so, of course. And you'll see Grady oftentimes with this smirk on his face. I don't operate in this world, so I don't understand this. I can't imagine using brain power to come up with a fictitious thing that someone did to me so that they might get in trouble. Like, that is a foreign thought to me. I don't get it. But in his mind, for some reason, he relishes the moment when Graham gets in trouble. Maybe I did this when I was growing up with Jeff. I don't know, but I don't think so. I don't think I'm wired like this. As a matter of fact... Uh, I mean, this is not like I'm all Jesus-like. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying when I see 
justice or punishment done, there may be in my heart a sense of righteousness that was right that you got, that, that there was justice done. But even when I see justice, I'm still broken. Let me tell you a perfect example of this. Um, not too long ago, there was a, late, a young lady in our church. She was late teens or early 20s. And she, she, she faced a horrific, horrific event. Uh, a, a, a young man, I believe in his 20s, carried out an act on her, and it was just heartbreaking to hear the story. This case went before uh, the courts. There was a jury involved. Several of our staff was there. We, we watched and listened to the, to the storyline. It was so difficult to hear. It was just, just heartbreaking to listen to what had taken place to that young lady. My heart broke for her, for her family as she went through that. I listened as, as the trial went on and eventually it was handed over to the jury. I remember going out with the family, being with the family while the jury deliberated. We came back in once they said the jury had reached a verdict. And the jury sat back down and the verdict was read. This individual was guilty of the crime. Not too long after that, the jury had reached a verdict on what kind of sentencing this individual, this man, would, would have to face. And this individual received life in prison for what, she, what he did to this young lady. And I heard the verdict, and within me there was a sense of rightness. It was right. He did this. He deserves the punishment. But coupled with that was a sense of brokenness. What a wasted life. Whereas pride relishes in seeing others hurt, even if it's just punishment. Those who are humble look at that brokenness and their heart is broken as God's heart is broken for the lost. They long to see healing and restoration. They long to see people live victorious and right and not in this kind of destruction. And this was the problem. Edom relished the wrong thing. And I would say to you, church, as we consider our journey, as you consider your personal journey of getting outside of yourself and stepping into people's needs, there will be a moment along the way, hear me, where you might have the thought, well, you did it to yourself. You deserve it. Stop breaking the law and it won't be so painful on you, right? I mean, there's a sense within us that has this like, what's your problem? But I would say that I pray that our heart would be broken for people in their brokenness, even if it's justice. That God would break our hearts. And so we see this was a problem in the nation of Israel. Verse number, prideful people, you can write this down, take pleasure in seeing others punished. That's what pride does. Verse number 13, we go on in the story and see this. Uh, You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor, get this, seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. This is fascinating. (laughs) So watch Edom. Edom stands back when the nation of Judah is being uh, ransacked. They celebrate in the streets at watching this calamity unfold. And then, think about this. And then, for whatever reason, in their own prideful sense, they feel the need to go into the very cities and towns that have been ransacked and take possessions. (laughs) What? All right, soapbox for a moment. Is that okay? If I I had a soapbox, I would stand up on it like this. So just for a moment, let let me just get on this. I cannot believe in our nation... That when we face a major catastrophic event, a natural disaster, some kind of, uh, some kind of uh, chaos in communities or some kind of up, uh, unrest or something, I cannot believe 
that on TV I watch people shatter windows, bust down doors, and break into places, and still and pillage all the stuff in those places. I cannot believe what I see when that takes place. Do you know what's wrong with that mentality? What's wrong with that mentality is that some people believe what's yours is mine and I can't wait to get it. But the heart of the gospel is what's mine is yours and I can't wait to give it. It is totally polar opposite of the gospel. When I believe that whatever you have is mine, I'll just lay and wait until you go through something difficult and then I'll seize on the opportunity. It totally misses the heart of God. And this is what the Edomite people did. They went into the towns and villages and took whatever they wanted. And I would say that the heart of the gospel is I'm willing to go into your brokenness and help meet a need there and whatever I have, I'll offer to you now. I want you to think about this for a moment. What did Jesus say? If someone says, go walk one mile with me, what do you do? You walk two miles with them. If someone asks for your coat, what do you do? You give them your inner coat as well, right? What's the point? The point is, is that I understand that I am God's and everything I have is his and he's loaned it to me and I'm a steward of that and I'm willing to go and meet people's needs. Edom did not get this at all. They missed it. So, if you're writing things down, prideful people, take advantage of and seek to prosper from other people's pain. Go on in verse number 14 of the story. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives nor hand over their survivors in the day of trouble. I want to conclude with this. This is so, so depraved. Think about what took place. Edom stands back, doesn't engage. Edom celebrates what's, what's being seen. Edom then goes into the city and takes what is not rightfully theirs. But not only that, when the Jewish people are fleeing Judah and they come through Edom, which is south, when they come through Edom, what, is the, what do the Edomites people do? What do they do? They could be a place of refuge for those people. What do they do? They participate in the actions themselves. They cut down those Jews who are fleeing And if they don't kill them, they capture them and hand them over to the Babylonian people so that they can be taken into captivity. Do you see the depravity? you see the brokenness? Pride had so consumed them that in the moment when they could have helped, they chose to participate. As a matter of fact, if you're writing things down, write this down. Prideful people participate in inflicting hurt on others. Not only are they just standoffish in the moments when they see a need, sometimes they get to a place where they participate in the hurt as well. This is the picture of the Edomite people. Now, you'd be saying, Matt, listen, um, why are you telling me that? What, What about the Edomite people do I need to learn from my own world? All right, you ready? Here. God is about to tell the Edomite people something everyone in the room needs to hear. This is the way they conducted themselves. Prideful people stand off, celebrate, take things that aren't theirs. They, they, they inflict hurt. All these things are the, are, are the actions of the prideful people. And then, and then, God says this. Verse 15. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Does that resonate? Does that sound New Testament at all? As it, 
or as you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Where have I heard that before? Galatians, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. Think about this. If in a prideful, haughty spirit, you give yourself over to these kinds of actions, from that spirit, you will reap the destruction that comes. But if I humble myself before God and set myself in a place where I can be used by God to serve others, to love others, to care for others, then out of that disposition, I will reap an incredible harvest. What does that look like? It looks like going and actually helping people who are in need. It it looks like enriching my own life with a sense of spiritual maturity and growth, an inner renewal that takes place. I reap what? I sow. Now, for those of you who like a good story, it's an incredible thing that takes place. And I'm not celebrating this, but it is fascinating how true God's word actually is. For those of you who love history, I want to read to you an incredible, powerful, real-life historical example of you reap what you sow. God declared with certainty your deeds will be done to you. Notice what takes place. In his book, Major Major Points from Minor Prophets, John Blanchard writes about the history of Edom. It is fascinating. In the remaining verses of Obadiah, Obadiah speaks about the fact that Judah will return, that God will bring them home once again. But the Edomite people, in verse 18 you can read it, the Edomite people, there will be no more survivors. Listen to this story. This is the way John Blanchard records the events as he writes about the people of Edom. All these fearful forecasts were were capped by one final prophecy, which I just gave you. There shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. This too was fulfilled to the letter. Five years after the sacking of Jerusalem, the Babylonians crushed the Edomites on their way to Egypt. Years later, the Persians conquered the country and slaughtered thousands of its citizens. In 120 BC, the Maccabees, a Jewish rebel army, added to the slaughter. Another Jewish leader, John Hyrcanus, forced the Edomites into becoming nominal Jews and to accepting circumcision. I don't know why I find that mildly humorous, but these Edomite people who were uncircumcised had to, under force and obligation, become circumcised. Yet the worst was to come, and it followed a final outrage. Long after Obadiah wrote his prophecy, Judea became combined with other territories to form a Roman province under the empire's first emperor, Caesar Augustus. With the Roman Senate eventually appointing Herod the Great as its client king over the region. Have you ever heard of Caesar Augustus and Herod the king? Those names ring a bell? Every Christmas... We learn that Caesar issues a decree that the entire Roman world should be counted under a census. Think about this. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Herod asked them to find the newborn child, then report back to him so that, in quotes, I too may come and worship him. 
But when God warned them that they were being conned, they ignored Herod and went back to their own country. Furious that he had been outwitted, Herod killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. Now, why do I tell you that story? This is what John Blanchard says. The reason for recording this in our study of Obadiah's prophecy is that Herod was an Edomite. Many centuries after Esau threatened to kill Jacob, his most notorious descendant tried to eliminate the real king of the Jews who was born into Jacob's line and was prepared to slaughter countless innocent children in order to be sure he had done so. Even this ruthless ploy failed, and ironically Herod died of chronic renal failure before Jesus became a teenager. Edom was then in its death throes, and in the course of the campaign in which they captured Jerusalem in AD 70, the Romans wiped out the remaining Edomites. It had remained boastful in spite of its many setbacks, but Edom was finally eliminated and from that time on has ceased to exist as a nation. This appalling fate, he goes on to say, fulfilled a powerful prophecy by another of the minor prophets, Malachi specifically. Which says, if Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may rebuild, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country, the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Wow. He concludes by saying this. Edom may have thought that it was invincible, but God is the judge over all the earth. And no power on earth can evade his sovereign justice. We dare not read Obadiah's prophecy without reflecting that the proud rejection of God's word always leads to eternal loss as it did for Edom. Wow. In our history books, we see that God cannot be mocked. We reap what we sow. I want, to th- I want you to think for just a moment about your journey. I know this series is heaven. As you talk about the path to ruin, it certainly is going to be heaven. Edom and the Edomite people made a terrible decision. They chose to set themselves up in the face of God. And it cost them, think about this, their very existence. Never again will the line of Esau exist on this earth. Let me think about your journey. Let me give, give you just a word of hope and a word of encouragement as we move forward and we're going to pray. Church, God has positioned our church in an incredible way. What's about to take place over the next few years at our church is going to be simply incredible. And I pray this, that our minds would be that of Jesus, that we would humble ourselves to his purposes and his plan and that we would be willing to reach out into the lostness, into the darkness, to meet people where they are. So can I ask you to do this with me this morning? Can I ask you to submit your agenda before the Father? Everything I am, everything I have, everything you long for me to be, it's yours, and I submit my purposes and plans to you. Now, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible, as you listen to this message today, that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. 
You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast. 